I'm Alex Travis. And I'm Maureen Friedley. This is the High Horse Podcast. And we're leaving egos on the ground. And today we're here with the fabulous Brooke Jordan from Ranch Rumors on TikTok and Instagram, I believe. Um, Maureen, why don't you introduce the topic for today? Uh, well, before we get to the topic, if, if people hear coughing and sniffling and everything like that, Brooke has been getting over COVID. I just got over COVID a couple of weeks ago. Alex has been de- dealing with congestion and ragweed or whatever out in Arizona. So uh, bear with us if you're hearing coughing or anything like that throughout the recording. Um, but we are having Brooke on today to talk about uh, positive reinforcement and a, uh, I guess we, we might call a more gentle way of training um, your horse. What would you say, Alex? Um, sensible, logical. Yeah, I like that. Reasonable. How do you describe driven. it, Brooke? How do you describe like your overall? Uh, creative and more communicative with my horse. Like I feel like my horse has a lot more choice in what we're doing when I'm doing a positive reinforcement session with them. Mm-hmm. And then it's a learning process for for me as well as them, I feel like it's uh, still very new in the horse world, even though some trainers have been doing it for years. Um, I feel like it, it has re- represented itself and more and more people are getting into it. So there's so much to learn about it. So it's a very fun area of the horse world. Where do you feel like we are right now in terms of um, the developmental arch plus R within the equine industry? The beginning. You think we're in the beginning? Yeah, I think it's going to get, um, watching what some of the trainers like, like Mustang Maddie has done with her horses where they have complete control when they come in, like they can literally go play with a toy that they can get the same rewards out of or choose to work with her. They can tell her yes or no at any time. She has different areas that they can go ring a bell to say no. Um, I feel like she has so much and that's, that's my goal is to get there, but I feel like she's still at the beginning. She went to a dolphin trainer to learn from them two years ago. And uh, Karen Pryor, who's an author of several books about positive reinforcement, she got into horses, but later as well. So, you know, she started with the seals and dogs and horse, and now it's horses. And now more and more people are using it. I've seen people use those recordable buttons now, and I've started them with a couple of my horses, but I've seen people with the whole soundboards for the horses to go yeah. up and you board to communicate with their horses. So I think we're at the beginning. Um, maybe we're, we're venturing into a middle level. I don't think we're anywhere near, um, like an advanced level of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. I finally, I finally, uh, I'm not late to the show this time. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, how did you get started in plus R? Like what was the catalyst that one day you were like, I'm doing that. So, Actually, I'm a psychic. I trade what I do for work. And so that's working with humans. And during my psych tech schooling, I had to go through a course where we worked with severely developmentally disabled children. And we actually used edible reinforcements for certain behaviors for a very severely delayed child um because we can communicate so well they may not be able to communicate verbally or understand verbal communication as clearly as some other children so using 
that edible reinforcement, like a piece of candy right away, as soon as they were doing the behavior. And it was all about timing, um, just to, to get them just like clicker training, literally like you're getting them a little bit closer to a behavior. Like if you wanted them to pick up a ball, you're giving them a treat for getting a little bit closer to a ball and watching them be able to grasp that as communication when nothing else was getting through. Um, that is what really, really interested me in positive reinforcement. I didn't take it to the horses right away. Um, probably, probably a year later, I started using it with horses because I started reading some books where people were using it with dolphins and people were using it with dogs. So I started using it with the horses, but nothing like I'm seeing today and like what I'm trying today, it was more just for tricks. So to teach my horse to smile, to teach my horse to lay down, to teach my horse to sit. And that was because I got horses that were very scary and I was too scared to ride them. So I teach them tricks. Or when I had a young horse and I didn't want to ride them until they were older, I would teach them tricks to give them something to do, keep their mind going, um, still be able to bond with them and have that time with them. But it was really just tricks. And now it's kind of developed into, I, I want everything I'm doing around my horses to be their choice. But it all started. Yeah. Um, I think there's something really incredibly um powerful in the recognition right and the understanding that um by adding an edible reinforcement right like you said like by adding a treat or a food you're you're keying into your most basic needs as an organism like every organism on the planet it doesn't matter if it's a fucking sunflower or an elephant has the basic need for nutrition and so when you key into that even a little bit, um, that's so powerful. And I also think that it's really cool that we kind of have like a progression here because I talked about in the first episode, you were who inspired me to start Plus R and I was who inspired Maureen to start Plus R. So yeah. we've come full circle. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Um, and you know, I went out of it with horses for a little while. And then one of my friends started doing it and she's a clinician and she started, she did an online clicker course, Katie Negranti. So I went and watched that and then I was completely back into it. But again, that was just tricks and stuff. So then I left it for a while again, you know, it's something that I went back and forth to the last eight years and this year have really just wanted to jump into it full bore. Like I, I want to be able to um gentle my horses with positive reinforcement I never want to have to force the halter on or anything like that not that I did before but I'm not now I don't feel like I need to withhold food ever I feel like when I was clicker training and doing tricks I was waiting for something particular now I feel like I want to be reinforcing anything I can so I'm always looking for something to reinforce I never want to go more than 10 seconds um, without giving some sort of reinforcement because I want them to not feel like I'm withholding. Like I want it to be um, an engagement. I want a different level of engagement with my animals. And I think people have got, um, when they watch clicker training or you try clicker training with your horse or any animal, the fact that they want to participate with you so much. I mean, that's what we all want from our horses, right? We all want them to want to be with us as much as we want to be with them. And when you start using positive reinforcement and it can be scratches too, but like you, you posted on Instagram about the love language. That's the key. Yeah. Like all horses are going to have a love language to food, but not all of them are going to have the scratches love language. Some yes. of them will 
don't. So we really have to understand the horses, but if you use food, it's something that they they already need part of their diet. You know, I use cubes sometimes, hay pellets sometimes, but they, they want it. And they also like having control. So if you yeah. have boy, they can get food out of, or you are giving them the same treats by asking them to, you know, do something and you get the treat. They'd rather actually participate with you because they feel like they're controlling it. So it's a game to them. Yeah. That's, that is also one of their needs is a little bit of control that's rewarding to them as well. So they're like, Oh, I made you click. Cause they're not thinking like we're click. They're thinking we're, they're making us click. Like, look, Oh, if I pushed on right. this ball, I made you click. Yeah. It's like a game to them as well. And I think it's interesting, right, Maureen. And we've mentioned this before. There's, there's almost an inherent acceptance when we talk about uh, positive reinforcement or quote treat training, which I don't, I don't like calling it that, um, but that's what the general public sees it as. When we talk about it from a frame of uh, trick training, everybody seems to be across the board accepting of plus R or, or quote treat training when we're teaching tricks, but there is this immediate aversiveness when we talk about it from a frame of fundamentals, gentling, or any type of groundwork, et cetera. Um, and I just think that's really interesting because that's probably the number one, uh, issue like psychologically within, from the human, uh, perspective that I combat every single day with people and just try to like pull that out of them a little bit. And Maureen, I know you talked about what the catalyst was for you. Like, Oh, that just makes so much sense. The licking and chewing. Yeah. The licking and chewing really made it like just totally click for me. Um, <clears throat> cause I, I took a long hiatus from, from horsemanship and from being around horses and everything. And when I finally had chap <clears throat> chaps, the first horse that I've ever had to train, um, especially cause he came from a bad trainer who didn't do what she said she was going to do. And so I kind of I was not expecting to have to train a horse. And then suddenly it was, well, I guess I'm going to have to figure this out. Otherwise I'm just going to have a pasture ornament. Um, so when you, Alex had mentioned in a TikTok video about the licking and chewing, that just made total sense to me. It made so much more sense than everyone throughout my entire horse career has been saying with, you know, well, you don't want to give them treats because I don't want them to expect treats all the time. And, and it's interesting how People, I feel like people really miss out on the opportunity with quote unquote trick training and using that to help reinforce regular training. You know, I, one of the first things that I remember using a trick to help chap with was getting through water. Um, I had a pool set out, a, a little kiddie pool. And what I would do is I trained him to touch my hand when I asked him to. So I stood on one side of the pool. He was on the other, on the other side. And I know most people would usually just do you know, pulling on the lead rope until they take that step and then releasing the pressure. Instead, I asked him to reach out and touch my hand. And every time he touched, I would reward him. And then I'd take a step back and he would have to reach out further and further and further until finally he had no choice, but to step into the water, but he wasn't worried about the water. He was concerned about touching my hand. He was, and it was yep. just a, a really cool. And now he will walk through water easier than any horse that I see out there who is, you know, 
And I, I've seen plenty of super, super broke horses out there and they still struggle with walking through water. Chap has no problem because he just, you know, it just goes back to that idea of I'm just reaching out to touch mom's hand so I can get yeah. that treat. So what's happening by my feet is not a big deal. It was direct communication. He knew exactly yes. what you, and when we're using other methods, they may not, the messages clearly, they're like, they want me to go forward, but, but which way, you know, how am I going to get through this water? But when you had your hand out, he knows I've got to touch her hand. Like that's what I'm supposed to be doing right now. So it was just direct communication. Yeah. Um, and I, like as, <laughs> as a whole, most, uh, a lot of people in the horse world, and I don't know where this came from. I guess it, it, it comes from that whole, we have to be the leader. Um, you know, the mindset we're kind of given as kids or, you know, when you fall off, you got to get back on, um, be the boss of the horse. The, the, everything you hear as a child, all will say, right. That you want that. Like, then you have the people telling you now when they see you doing treat training or positive reinforcement training, they say, well, I don't want to have to give them a treat every time. Um, they, they, we have this very withholding mindset instead yeah. of they're working. So do you work for free? Um, they are doing some, what you're asking. Their food twice a day and their water is not their payment. Like that is a right that they have you, you, you know, as an animal, they have the right to have food, water, shelter, um, just as we do as people, but their treats for working is just their payment for working, in my opinion. And also your cues start to become reinforcing to them. They're used to you cueing and getting a reinforcement. Of course, not initially when you're first introducing them to positive reinforcement, but eventually you start giving them cues. They know the cue means a treat is coming. So you're next, if they do something correctly and you give them another cue, that was rewarding enough to them that you don't have to click and treat for every single move. As I'm sure you guys have seen just teaching them to advance, um, you know, to touch your hand. You saw that at first you were probably clicking as soon as he would go close to your hand. And now you're clicking when he does, he goes through the water and touches your hand. Yeah. So it becomes just like, um, and I learned this also with humans and psych tech school was that gambling is so addictive to people. just like, when you um, walk by a candy machine and you dip your finger in to see if there's anything in there or if there's the gumball is going to come out, even though you didn't put a coin in because one time it did. And even mm -hmm. though 80% of the time, so they're so excited to get a cue for that 30% chance of getting a treat because it's more addictive that way to them because it's more like gambling. So they don't know when they're going to get it. And it just becomes an addictive thing to them. And then they're addicted to your guys' training sessions and happy to see you and happy to come perform. Yeah. It's, and I love that you mentioned that they get become addicted to the training because I've noticed with chap a 180 difference. I mean, I, it used to be when I would go out there and he would see that halter and I mean, every once in a while he'd let me catch him, but it was, he was reluctant. It was clear that he was not enjoying going into the round pen and working. And when I started doing Liberty training with him and doing positive reinforcement, he, every single time I walk through that gate, he will run from the back of the pasture right up to me, regardless if we're actually going to do any training or anything, he will follow me around just because now, now he just wants to be with me. And before I didn't get that feeling with him. And it's interesting too, going back to talking about, um, Alex, your Instagram posts, um, about the love language <clears throat> with chap. I used to think that he didn't like to be touched. Um, he, he had a, uh, a bad gelding surgery and it made him septic. 
And so he was really, really sensitive to touch and everything. And I just assumed that that's just carried out through time. But since doing the positive reinforcement, now he actually enjoys being scratched on and loved on, which he never used to do before. Like he will now try to mutually groom me. And it's just made a complete difference in our relationship. And it's really exciting to see where it's going now compared to where we were before. That for me brings up causation versus correlation, right? And I talk about this a lot on my pages. Um, Once, and I'll start, I'll start by saying this, a blade of grass has never run away from a horse. That's something that uh, my friend Raven said, she's over at uh, Crazy Ranch Lady. A blade of grass has never run away from a horse. So once we start plus R, whether it's intentional or unintentional, we sort of start to um, remove a lot of the negative training methods we were using, right? Because positive reinforcement is simply more effective. And so over time, um, when you have stopped adding negative stimulus into the training environment, um, and it is always a positive experience. And again, a blade of grass has never run away from a horse. Well, you're fostering a more positive relationship with that horse. And now they want to work. Whereas before they had to work. Um, and it's very telling, you know, I can always tell what kind of relationship somebody has with their horse when they pull the halter out, you Mm -hmm. pull your halter out and your horse turns away from you or worse, runs to the other end of the pasture, that tells me everything about where you're at in your relationship. Right. And usually the answer to that is people say, well, just chase them around until they get tired and they realize that it's better to stand still and let you catch them than to run away. This is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard (laughs) in my fucking life. Do you have more stamina than a fucking horse? Probably not. Are you faster than a fucking horse? Probably not. So why why would that why would that be your go-to problem-solving mechanism? That's so stupid. Well, and pressure um, has worked for years, but what are we really doing when we go out and do a pressure and release um, session with our horse? We are the ones adding the pressure and they are smart enough to understand, even though we're the ones the way to reward them, um, they understand that we are still the ones putting that pressure on them. So I don't that gives them a really good feeling when we walk out to get them. Now, I'm not saying I don't use negative reinforcement because I do. I do use pressure and release still. I hope someday not to, but um, I do hope that people start to realize what we're doing. And I don't, I think that it was great. Um, that movement was great when people started using pressure and release and it got to a peak. I think that that part of horsemanship has came to a peak and everyone is moving to another level and hopefully yeah. we're towards a more positive level for the horses and more community like this is direct communication and i and i touched on that right today like you guys have mentioned on my post right i talked about a horse's love language so the another key factor for me or another uh telling factor is when people say well my horse doesn't like treats i immediately know your horse is not comfortable with you i immediately know um because food um again, it goes back to our intrinsic needs as an organism. You have fight and you have flight and you are incapable of eating when you are in one of those modes psychologically. It doesn't matter if you are a gorilla or a horse. If you are in fight or flight, you're not eating. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. And so again, like when I'm working with Sully, 
um, I can tell when he's starting to reach his limit if he uh, isn't taking his reward right away or if he's a little bit tight-lipped about it, right? Because that is an indicator of stress. Um, and if he's <laughs> almost unwilling to accept his reward, then I know I need to back off because what I'm doing is too much. Um, so if your horse is interested in treats, then you need to evaluate your relationship with that animal and the nature of that relationship and the quality of that relationship. Because the, the honest likelihood is if you take an honest inventory, it's just you and the horse and nobody else is watching. Um, you probably have uh, a lot of negative factors influencing your relationship that is preventing that animal from feeling comfortable enough to take food because intri intrinsically as, as living organisms, we require food as sustenance. And so, of course, it is our nature to want to take food when we don't have to work for it because that's less uh, caloric output and that increases our potential for survival as an organism. So if as an organism, like I won't eat in front of people I'm not comfortable around, period. Um, and part of the reason is because if I want to leave at any point, I don't want to be in the middle of eating. I just want to be able to get up and leave. Um, your horse is no different. So I, I just, you know, encourage people to think about that. Like I said in my post, not every horse is going to love touch. Not every horse is going to love quality time, but every horse will take food. Even if you just start with hay, like if your horse isn't comfortable enough initially, if you have if you have negatively reinforced your relationship with your horse for a long time and they will not take like hay pellets from you even, um, start with just hay. Start with just hay out of a little sack so that you can extend the olive branch or in this case, the fucking grass and try to reestablish a positive relationship um, with that animal. Um, you're never going to spoil an animal with their basic needs. That is the most ridiculous shit I've ever heard. And we've, we've proven that time and time again, right? Like I posted on, I think it was, I don't remember if it was TikTok or Instagram. I'm deeply philosophical in both, but um, I posted about, oh, it was TikTok. Um, the study done, and there's been multiple, but I'm like thinking of one in my mind uh, on crying babies. There was two groups of crying babies and the one group was your classic, let them cry it out, right? Because for decades, that's what we've heard as mothers, let them cry it out. Um, they'll learn to self-soothe and that, and that was what we believed for a long time. The, the, the infants were learning to self-soothe and that is why they stopped crying. Well, in the other group, the mothers always responded. And what we actually found was that in the babies that stopped crying, their cortisol levels, which is your stress hormone, were actually orders of magnitude higher than the other group of babies and they were no longer crying meaning their stress levels were increased they had just learned through operant conditioning that nobody was going to respond to them so they simply stopped crying and the other group of babies over time did learn to self-soothe so we a lot of times unfortunately and you know, it's, it's just the reality. People don't have even a basic understanding of operant conditioning. So therefore they're unable to also uh, conceptualize the impact that they're having on their animal because they don't understand the stimulus they're either adding or taking away. And so I think if anything, if anybody gets anything from my pages, you can hate me all you want, but 
you know, read a, a operant conditioning for dummies or operant conditioning 101. Re- read anything you can on it because the more you can understand about just basic operant conditioning, the better your uh, your horsemanship is going to be and for parents, the better your parenting is going to be. Like I said, you're never going to spoil an animal with their basic needs. They have a basic requirement, right? For like Brooke said, it is our, it is our right as an organism to have shelter, food, water, and sleep. Those are our, and you know, being free of harm. You can't like, you can't spoil an animal with too much of that because if, if you weren't around, they would be able to find as much of it as they wanted. Period. And that's, that's kind of the, the takeaway for me on that. Um, what do you think, Brooke, keeps people from wanting to just, like I said, move it from just trick training into um, groundwork or functional writing? I think we're creatures of habit and we go back so Um, like I mentioned, I decided I was going to start one horse where that's all the only way that I'm going to do it. But I still want, like, I still have cravings to take that horse into the round pen and teach it to a way that I would typically, right? Because I want to see that progression. Like, oh, I wonder how this horse would present that way. But I haven't, I haven't done it yet, but, but I want to all the time. So I can see why a lot of people would, because I, I know that for me anyways, it's because I'm a creature of habit. I know how the other way works, but I also know positive reinforcement works. I just haven't got that far into positive reinforcement where that's all I'm doing, where I, I mean, everything is at liberal, the horse is coming out and going to its uh, grounding mat, basically, or, you know, high mat, um, standing on the mat, waiting for me to saddle it without me putting a halter or anything on it. Um, I have them coming out of their stall and standing on mats and waiting, but that's as far as I've gotten or to the mounting block where they're allowing me to come and get on them from the mounting block and I can steer them with a target, but I want to see them round pinning and stuff and they have to be further and further away from you. So you have to really start reinforcing them from further away by tossing treats basically um, in their, in their line of work or them learning to wait for you to walk up and give the treat. So it's just learning. I think that's what keeps us in the trick training mode a lot. Um, There are many trainers that are using it more under saddle now as well. And I'm trying to, I just, I, I like to admit my flaws as well, or, you know, that we're all, we're all trying to get better. I hope everyone who has horses, um, we all want to have a huge change in our horsemanship from now. And a year from now, you want to be saying something completely different. Where do you think it's um, like, if you could see it implemented into one part of the industry or one aspect of horsemanship, uh, where would that be for you? Cause I know where it is for me as sports are you talking about a discipline yeah Hmm. or just um or just any aspect like if it was groundwork or if it was gentling um starting cult starting for sure that's my answer too (laughs) yeah um it baffles me now to think that like um so back a few months ago, somebody, this old man came to buy some cows from me. Um, he told me how 
he complimented me on how um, none of my horses were freaking out because it ended up being a big fucking circus. And he was like, my horses would never, they would have scattered like the wind. And I was like, well, that's not how I do things with my horses, blah, blah, blah. And he said, oh, well, back in my day, we just threw a loop around them, tied them to a snubbing post, got the saddle on them, and you got them broke that day. And I was like, the fucking trauma those poor animals endured, Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. And, and so no wonder, right? Like those people who got bucked off a thousand times, cut themselves open, concussed themselves, and then had to put their bootstraps back on and go to work, look at this way and probably see that it's a hell of a lot easier and a hell of a lot faster. And but they just get that way. They said, like when I was, when I was, for example, we're out in the middle of nowhere where you don't have cell phones can't call for help some people there that i did not know could not get a horse in a trailer they said we had been here we've been here for 45 minutes we can't get the horse in the trailer and i said i can help you um let me go get you know some treats and they were like no she doesn't eat treats and i was like oh well okay. do you want the, your horse in the damn trailer or not <laughs> um how about some hay no no she's not food motivated at all and i was like okay um well i try and they said no we're gonna get a rope can you help us with the rope and i said i can't oh so my i god I couldn't, but my friend that I was with, the salty buckaroo, he has completely different horsemanship than I do. Um, he helped them with the rope or whatever. And I, he's like, you just ditched us. You know, after they get the horse in the trailer, maybe an hour later, I go back to my camp. I'm not going to be a part of that. And he's like, you yeah, ditched exactly. us. Like, yeah, I don't do things like that. I don't want to be a part of it. I've seen it. I know how it works. I know you can rope a horse into a trailer. Not my thing. And he's like, okay, well, if that ever comes, if that ever happens again, we'll try it your way. Kind of as a challenge. And yeah. I was like, so a few weeks later, it happens again. This horse had already flipped over in the trailer and broke its jaw. So it was bleeding. We really needed to get in a trailer. It wasn't our horse. It was just another. Can't pick by themselves. Can't get their horse in the trailer. Yeah. And then I couldn't really feed it, but I could give it enough um, positive reinforcement by, you know, asking it to go and then stopping and petting and just reassuring the horse and giving it a little bit of food. It couldn't eat because yeah. of injury, but it got in the trailer in 10 minutes when they had already been there for a hours trying to get the injured horse in the trailer so it just shows you but the cowboys the cowboy way I hate saying that because I know there's a lot of men out there who are very gentle with horses but cowboy way and they do look they just looked at me like oh the girl from California wants to use treats and I'm like yeah uh, <laughs> I'm being all wooey uh, wooey again yes yeah and I um god I feel like the further I get with Sully the less tolerant I am of doing things the old way or even seeing it like, because, you know, and I don't, don't have a lot of video of what, what Sully was like or really how bad he was. Um, but he is the most reactive horse I have ever worked with and he's fucking big. So, you know, he was, dangerous but not aggressive he was dangerous because of his size and because of how reactive he was and you could like see the the switch flip in his eyes when he would get scared he was not thinking he just was he just wasn't he was somewhere else um and I see how far he's come right like when I'm working with him it is it's a conversation um in a different way than I've had before with other horses 
Um, and it is very two directional. It he re- he really has a say and he really has a part in what's going on. And I just I can't tolerate that other shit at all. Um, I was talking with somebody last night actually, and and this person was like, um, "I'm not much of a horseman." And I said, "We believe what we tell ourselves, so you might want to be careful what you tell yourself." And he said, "Well, I'm just not confident." but I'll get there eventually. Um, it's just hard to be confident when, you know, my brothers are such badass cowboys. And I just, uh, I was like, I fucking hate that word. And I, I just feel like it's these stereotypes, right? Like these Hollywood ideals of what a cowboy is or what a horse trainer should be that keep us so deeply seated and deeply rooted in what horse training is supposed to quote look like And it is to the detriment of every last one of those horses, every last one of them. And it's so hard for me to sit back and watch it as a bystander because I'm just too autistic for that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just, it's just, it's hard. Um, I think if I could see plus R implemented across the board in any one aspect of horsemanship, it would 100% be in cold starting. Yeah. Um, 100%. 100%. And I, you know, and I make it a point to like keep track of how long my sessions are so that um, at the end of the day, you know, when you look at um, the way the old fashioned people do it and the way we're doing it now, you can see like this is less time. Mm-hmm. This is less time. I, I spread it over the course of multiple days because from an, uh, like an actual, Uh, equine behavioral standpoint and in terms of neurochemistry they are simply not able to perform or to stay in a learning mindset for the number of hours these people are demanding of them so like you could take even the most willing well-adjusted smartest horse they're all going to blow up at some point because you cannot expect these horses to perform for hours at a time especially if you are asking them to do anything new or scary they can't it's like it's like working with a toddler um and there's just such an unwillingness about people they're like uh in fact somebody that follows me and this is going to be the second time i brought it up and i really hope he listens to the podcast because it, i still think about it he follows me and he's followed me for a long time i don't remember his username now but he was like nope that's not how it works at my ranch when i need to get the job done it's going to get done. I don't care if he's having a bad day. And I was like, well, then maybe a four wheeler is for you. Four wheelers don't have bad days. Horses do. Um, And maybe it's just a really human thing, right? Like this concept of domestication. Well, we've domesticated it. It's ours now. It's an object. It's a tool. Um, And it's not a sentient thing with feelings and emotions. I'm just going to treat it however the hell I want. Um, and that in and of itself is very damaging. Um, yeah. Like what gave us the right to be the boss of this animal that is so much larger and more powerful than us that we decided to. I, I understand when they were told you need to get stuff done, but their, their place in society has progressed as well. So they, 
don't have that role anymore. This is, they're not tools. Um, we don't have horses as tools. I mean, yes, I do round up cattle. Uh, I get made fun of a lot when I'm rounding up cows when I, you know, cause if my horse has it and I have a disagreement, I'm not going to force my horse to do anything. I don't fight with my horses out riding, no matter what job needs to get done. I'm never fighting with my horses. If I have to get off, I will get off. Cause I didn't do my work. I'm not ready to be out there. Like it's me, not my horse. My the horses know how to, when they know how to perform, they're going to do it for you when they can. Um, everything yeah. else is on me. Um, so I get made fun of a lot too, out there trying to get stuff done, but there it's not our place to be the boss of animals. We're supposed to take care of them. And maybe I just, uh, I have such a black and white view of the world, especially on things like that, because culturally we have never seen horses that way in that light or any other animal. Um, and so it's fundamentally wrong. It is fundamentally wrong. Um, and I don't, you know, obviously we're never going to get to a point where we change that, right? Like even when we've proven sentience, in in other species people will still justify it any way they want um but i think results probably speak louder than words in this case um and that's where i just direct people back to i'm like well you can say anything you want you can say i'm not a multi-million dollar clinton anderson you can say i'm a woo-woo tree hugger but my horses speak for themselves i can walk outside with my horses on 10 acres and they will all come to me seeing the halter they will all come to me um my horse will always think before he acts and do his best to keep us both safe Mm -hmm. period and that's all i really give a shit about you know if i go out on that day to do that work gather the cows and my fucking horse is having an off day well that's why i have more than one yep (laughs) It's your fault for only having one. (laughs) Cowboys, for lack of a better term, that make fun of for being too, um, giving my horse too much choice, I suppose. I don't know the the best way to just to the best lingo to use on a podcast. But um, so even the people that are making fun of me for the choices that I make with my horses or the decisions I make with my horses when I'm out riding them because I won't fight them, they are also and will admit to it at the campfire later at night envious of the relationship I have with my horses because when I get to a camp I turn my horses free they don't leave me they want to come back to me they when I step out of my trailer in the morning my horses all come and find me and you can tell that they like that they're enjoying the relationship and it doesn't matter who we are even the today's cowboys I think they like they want their animals to want to be around them so they do want that relationship they just think the way that we got there was a little bit too tree hugging but you can't have one without the other. So grow up and get over it. Period. I'm sick of it. And I just don't have the patience for it anymore. I really fucking don't. Like you keep doing things the way you're doing them then and get thrown into a tree one day and you're, you won't have to worry about it anymore because you won't be able to ride horses. How about that? Maybe that's your karma. Um, That's kind of where I'm at. I'm just, I'm over it. And I blame the popularization of pressure and release. Um, again, most people don't have an even fundamental, like an even elementary understanding of operant conditioning. Um, and because of that, 
they hear something like pressure and release and oh it just sounds so shiny it just sounds so like oh good right like so easy and when you take Linda down the road who has a quote problem horse or you've convinced her she has a problem horse my horse is pawing my horse is setting back my horse won't stand still for mounting and these are all very obvious behavioral issues right like that are indicative of larger holes in the relationship when you tell me your horse is pawing when you tell me your horse is not standing tied he sets back or or even more importantly he's hard to catch or uh, you won't stand still to be mounted alex how do i get my horse to stand still to be mounted uh will you stop being a dick to him in the saddle and you check your tack to make sure it's not causing him pain but that's not what they want to hear. They want to hear pressure and release. Um, they want to hear something about the round pen. They don't want to hear that the work actually starts with your relationship. Um, and that's one thing I love about Plus R. And I think something that Plus R has really um, reinforced even more with me and given to me is an improved relationship. Um, well, I think that's where a lot of people why they, they don't right away want to go toward plus R is because the focus is so much on relationship. When you're looking at natural, you know, quote unquote, natural horsemanship and pressure and release, it's a step. It's, it's a checklist that they give you. And they say, you start here. And then after they do that, you do this, and then you do this, and then you do this, and you move down the line to you have a perfect horse. Whereas with plus R, you're working on that relationship. And that is so much more fluid and is so different for each horse and for each person that it's, I, I think some people are, are deep down scared of it because they don't know it's not a list that they can just check off. And I so that, Maureen, I think, I think, they, it's, I think it's intimidating. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, what plus R is going to eventually force you to do is confront all the mistakes you've made with your horse, the damage that you've done and force you to fix them. And that is incredibly hard, I know, because I had to do it. Uh, And yeah, it hurt. Yes, it was really hard. Um, And I it it put me in the sads for a while, if I'm being totally transparent. I had the big sads. Um, But there's just no other way around it, right? Because once you start um, really working with plus R and really establishing that, like, Oh my God, my horse is sentient enough to make choices. My horse is um, capable of preferences. My horse is capable of communicating with me. Then you also have to accept all the times you have smacked the shit out of them. Yeah. In a positive reinforcement session, at least for me, when I'm doing a positive reinforcement session with my horse, I'm giving them they can literally choose not to participate with me. Um, and when they do, I have to look at where I messed up. Like I either went too fast or asked for too much because they actually mm-hmm. like participate with me. So I know that. And now they walk away. Now it's just humbling to me, right? I'm like, okay, I messed up there. I'm learning so much at a higher rate as well because they're teaching me. They can communicate with me. Like, well, that was a little too much for me. You didn't listen to 
the point where I was telling you this is a little frustrating and you asked again. And so I left. I'm going over here to play with this toy because um, I give them a barrier. And actually, I'm not allowed to cross the barrier so they can get away from me and run free um, it, and choose to participate in this session. So giving them that choice has really been humbling and really just taught me a lot. And I think that makes it scary, too, because at a point, you know, when I was newer to giving them so much choice i'm out there and my horse walks away and just runs out into the field and they're gonna have you know like done five minutes into the session i you know, i don't <laughs> my plans i don't get today um and i'm like what am i doing am i crazy this is so crazy that i'm gonna just so now what i'm gonna jackpot the horse like the rest of the treats in the bag i leave it in the food in a food bowl and i walk away it could come and eat it whenever it wanted and then i put the horse away but the next time the horse was so much more engaged with me that yeah. I took him out. Also, I was slower. So that horse needed me to go slower. I talk fast. I do a lot of things fast. I was the one left humbled instead of us being able to just chase the horse longer in the round pen or like get to that point B that we wanted to get to when we had that session in mind. I knew where I was going that day with the session, but the horse had other things in his mind and the horse gets the control now. So that is scary for people. So I think it is, if you dabble in positive reinforcement a bit, it's easy to get scared and back away. I think is a great point. Um, I was all, I've always been really perceptive about animal behavior and like felt that I was good at identifying it. But once I started really working with plus R with all of my horses, it really, uh, just skyrocketed the rate at which I was learning and the rate at which I was identifying their behavior down to like their micro expressions. Um, so that's, I think, really, really valuable um, because I don't, I don't see any other way I would have ever got there um, because it does take that horse feeling comfortable enough to like express that around you. Um, what have been some of your like aha moments? Um, well, I think that you and I have talked about them a little bit before where the horse all of a sudden, um, my horses didn't want to go back to their pen. Um, they like being with me but they didn't want to go back. I actually still have a couple that refused to go home. Um, it actually becomes a pretty good selling point when I have horses for sale, though. They, people love the fact that the horses like to be around humans so much. Um, but that made me start really investigating why they don't want to go back. And then I start feeling like they think that they did something to be punished. I really have to make it more clear yeah. when my session, I really have to make the start of the session clear. And another, and these are probably the opposite aha moments. You were looking at where I was like, and I'm just saying, I thought positive reinforcement was life from the moment that I saw it being used with humans. Um, but these are the aha moments that I was like, oh, this is going to be harder and more, uh, yeah. more humbling. Than I, uh, I really have to consider, I can't mix. I can't go into the arena and be riding my horse and then all of a sudden see him do something that I like and click and reward it because that's going to really promote the horse to solicit for behavior. So the sessions have yeah. to either be horse sessions or regular riding sessions. Not that you can't ride and do 
reinforcement because you can, and you can mix negative and positive reinforcement. But if you are using rewards, you need to consistently use rewards throughout the session or not at all. So I never just treat my horses now when I'm saddling. Um, if I'm not going to be doing a positive reinforcement session, I keep treats completely fit because otherwise they don't know. And we have to be very clear. Um, I wear a big bag for my treats so they know, okay, we're doing a, a clicker training session. I have a start cue and I have an end cue and the horse can end early if they would like to. Certain horses, it really depends on the horse. But um, just making those environmental setups very clear has been a, more and more lately, my mind is just turning on it. Um, I'm more obsessed with it almost to a point where it makes it even more difficult for me because that's all I'm thinking about is like, I don't want the horse to feel punished when I put him away. I really want him to know he did a good job and like walk back to your pen. You have food there. You have your friends there, but they don't want to go back because they'd rather be out playing the games. Well, and sometimes and we have talked about this uh, extensively, um, depending on the horse and the situation, right? Like everything is situational, but sometimes I think it just comes back to correlation versus causation. You know, like, is it that they want to continue the session or is it that because the sessions have been positive over a course of a period of time, now they simply enjoy time with you more and therefore want more time with you. Oh. Um, I, I deal with that with Roni. Yeah. Um, he refused to go back in his pen the other day. Uh, for for me, I, I like to make it very environmental. Like when we are in, we don't do any work in your in your paddock, which Sully is the only one I'm not doing that with because I can't really trust him yet turned out. So he's in the round pen all the time. So he's the only horse that breaks that rule. But otherwise, we only work in the round pen or we only work in the arena. Everywhere else, that's that's just your living area and we don't do any work there and Roni knows that so we rode the other day and even though he was being a bit of a shit uh when we went to leave he was like he like totally balked at the gate and he did not want to leave the arena um and so that was very telling because he's never that's a new behavior from him he's never done that before before, when it was time to be put away, he would go. Um, and like you said, Maureen, you know, before when you would come out with the halter, it was like hard to catch chap. Now he's like waiting. He's ready to go. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> now he comes to me when I whistle, which is oh, like yeah. the coolest awesome. thing ever. <laughs> so. Yeah, Poncho wow. will actually put him back if I halter horse and he'll chase me and horse out and try to like come between me and the lead rope if I get any other horse he wants to be out and my um little colt Eduardo started doing that too and that's all because of positive reinforcement Eduardo yeah. was pure positive I've never done any other training with him and he he always just want he first at the gate and then if you take another horse ears go back he's immediately mad oh my god oh my god dude every fucking day twice a day it doesn't matter if I'm working with another horse or if I'm just near them Roni stands at his gate and just, just fucking glares See, at me with his ears back. So it's funny that guys. you guys are saying this because today I had to go out and get Mando to take to Arlette's riding lesson that she had today. And I realized 
chap is jealous when I go out and catch other horses. If I go out and spend time with somebody else and it's not him, he gets jealous about it because, you know, Scarlett got hurt recently and so I had to put her in another pasture, an adjoining pasture. And I realized every time I'd go out there to go see her and check on her and, you know, doctor her up and everything, chap is at the corner by the gate watching because he was mad that I wasn't with him. And that's only yeah. happened since I've been doing the positive reinforcement. And that's it's the relationship. So and that's what makes us fall in love with positive reinforcement is that is definitely with their horses. If they're almost becoming dog-like, not that I want them to be like dogs. I respect them very much horses, but they are acting like they want to be around us. Like our dogs do, right? Our dogs are right. positive naturally just by being around us and the horses are now becoming that way as soon as you do a little bit of positive reinforcement um one thing I will say to people <clears throat> is if you have ever thought to yourself I wonder what my horse was thinking or I wonder what my horse would say if he could talk positive reinforcement is for you because mm -hmm. I I swear to god uh it it feels like a conversation and I just, you can't, it's hard to explain unless you, unless you start doing it, but it feels like we're talking when we work together. Um, I don't wonder that anymore. When I'm with my horses, I can tell exactly what mood they're in, exactly how they're feeling when it changes. Um, and when they're looking at me, it feels, it feels like they're talking to me. Um, I recently had an appointment with, um, an animal communicator, Dana Meyer. I think, were you the one that referred me to Dana? I think so. I love oh her. My God. I fucking, Dana is the real deal, man. She's See, the I'm real really excited. I have an appointment with her in November, so we might have to do a, um, we might have to do an episode about that. So, yeah. Dana is great. Maybe we can have Dana on the show. Um, that would be really cool. Should. So, the things that Dana said about like, Crony and Sully were, were just so reaffirming to everything that I had thought to myself was going on. And I'm like, well, wow, that's really cool because it's not just me trying to be intuitive, right? And trying to like suss out how are they feeling emotionally. That really is how they're feeling. Um, that's so valuable. It's so valuable for me personally, right? Like, I, I am very disabled. I cannot afford to come off of a horse, uh, unless it's on my terms. So especially cause I, I care for two kids. Like I can't just go to the hospital. People don't realize that I can't just, if I, if I come off the horse and have to go to the ER, that's a fucking problem. What am I going to do with my kids? People don't know. You cannot take your kids with you to the ER. Well, I also cannot leave them home alone. So the so the, the answer to that solution is, well, you, you cannot go to the ER then. So I have, I have to have a horse that's willing to tell me or comfortable enough to tell me today's not the day. Do not fuck with me today. <laughs> um, and there have been definite striking times. And if you are going to start plus R, I will also say this. You need to be willing to take no for an answer when your horse does tell you no. Yes. You, you can't, yeah, you can't ask your horse to be communicative with you, right? And then ignore them when they do. Don't be an asshole. Um, 
there have definitely been days in the last two weeks where I have gone out to the corral to work with Sully and he stood at the fence and didn't meet me in the center. Every day he meets me in the center, he meets me at the mounting block. And like even today when I went to um, unsaddle him and put everything away, he was like trying to block me with his body from leaving the round pen. Um, so as, as grateful as you are for the times when they are very willing, you must be equally considerate the times when they are not. Um, Sully's been dealing with some hind end soreness, I think. It could be soreness anywhere, but I know for sure he's been a little bit sore. And so I didn't start working with him again on backing until his soreness started to resolve. But for like several days there, all we did was working on, you know, picking up his feet and just spending quality time together. I did not expect him to do anything else because I could tell he wasn't feeling well. So if you're in the mindset of, you know, some this, these people that say, no, on that day, we're going to get the job done. And I don't care if you feel like shit. Um, you're probably a shitty person. I don't want to. <laughs> I, I wouldn't hang out with you personally. Um, they just don't yeah, know that better. Like, yeah. So be better. Do better. At least give it a chance. And you know what? Yeah, just, they see it this way. This And this is how I saw it initially. Um, <clears throat> if I'm wrong, right? I'm not. But if I am, you get to come back and tell me I'm wrong. How rewarding is that for you? So rewarding. And that should be worth it. But that's not what will happen. Um, <clears throat> what, what are like some of your favorite um, or your least favorite plus R routines? Or your favorite things to teach with plus R? Okay. So I have been playing around with the buttons a little bit. Um, but I <clears throat> with that so it's more like they get brushed for this um they can pick between round pin or trail riding and stuff like that right but it's not involving the treat so that's been really fun for me but it all started with positive reinforcement because it's giving them the choice and but my favorite things and it, it's not my favorite to teach maybe like it's not like a fun process but it is my favorite Thing that I saw people doing and I think it was Mustang Maddie with their horses that made me go I have to do positive reinforcement um was she taught her horses to give her a signal when they felt like they needed to buck so like oh. get back so she would put you know and she taught them she and I've been slowly with my horses as well but her her sign them telling her no is actually a hindquarter yield and I've been having trouble deciding if that's exactly what I want their sign to be because a hindquarter yield could so is so much useful in other ways too but maybe if they do a hindquarter yield on their own uh maybe that's okay but that is her what her horses tell her that like you need to get this off my back and she will get off her horses if they do that so that they don't buck her off because the, the horse bucking is generally them like saying no I can't do this or they're trying to communicate something so instead of the horses it's bucking, overwhelmed yeah it's overwhelmed we teach it by putting like the saddle pad on and if the horse is uncomfortable they you you can teach them to do the move you take it off right whatever and you do a cone and then the saddle. And of course, they eventually get comfortable with all of these things. And then when you're riding, you just teach them. They do this cue. 
I'm going to get off of you. So they're able to communicate. And so that made me feel so much safer about some of the horses I was working with um, that had known to be buckers in the past. Um, I didn't really want to that with some sort without some sort of communication between me and the horse like hey I will get off you because I will get off horses I will not ride through a buck I am no cowboy <laughs> that is not my thing I've never been that way I've never been like oh I'm gonna get bucked off and I'll just get on like that is not me um so the horse being able to say get off my back I will gladly get off thanks for the warning <laughs> yeah let's walk. that's awesome so, get this through <laughs> yeah that was something that I that's the most valuable thing I think I can get from positive reinforcement aside from everything we've we've already discussed as far as the relationship with the horses that's been really fun I don't even care about riding as much as I used to I more care about that relationship building and the communication and just like you said the conversation like we're building their their vocabulary our vocabulary well and it creates a and I see this a lot in chat now and the work you've done with chat it creates a more emotionally fluent horse a horse that has a lot more emotional fluency and capacity um because they don't feel imagine how frustrating it would feel um and i'm sure a lot of other disabled peoples can relate to this right like if you struggle with any kind of deafness um or speech impediment or language disability whatever it is how frustrating is it to not be able to communicate how you are feeling like it's it's a it's helplessness and and we talk about learned helplessness so much because it is so debilitating and powerful um down to like the neurochemical level um and positive reinforcement does the opposite. It gives horses an opportunity to come out of that learned helplessness and to then communicate their willingness or unwillingness. And that is like big time valuable. And, and you know, the stuff you've mentioned with Mustang Maddie is like the upper echelon of what Plus R is capable of. So, you know, if you're starting out, you're beginning, uh, don't expect to get there right away. I'm not there. Um, I'm so, not there. But it's like, that's in your realm of possibility. Like, that's something you could be able to do. How, as a cult starter, as a horse trainer, how fucking valuable would that be to you to never have to spend another goddamn day in the hospital because you got tossed off your horse? You don't get any TikTok so, yeah. that way, though. <laughs> wow. You know, um, and I call yourself a real cowboy if your horse doesn't buck. (laughs) Sad to me. Um, I think the biggest, the biggest thing I combat like on a daily basis with people is just the unwillingness to accept that these animals are sentient. Like they're just unwilling. Um, and I talk about like the development of the frontal lobe a lot. Um, <clears throat> but people take that as the absence of sentience as well. And that's just not the case. It, they're just simply not seeing the world from the same context we are because we are human and they are horses. In the same way that your dog doesn't see the world 
um, from the same lens or your cat or your, even your kids, because as you change your, your brain changes and the developed brain of a four-year-old is anatomically different from the developed brain of a 30-year-old. So <clears throat> trying to explain to people that horses are capable of feeling overwhelmed. They are capable of feeling excited. Um, they are capable of feeling grief while also explaining to them that your horse is not being stubborn when you ask him to do something um, from like a training context. It's, it's so it's mind numbing. Um, people are not able to distinguish the difference. So, and I wish, you know, I don't know if like, if I could travel back in time, if I would do my content any differently, but I, <laughs> I've definitely painted myself in a corner for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and it's fine. I'm here now, whatever. But um thing that I combat a lot in my content is that explaining to people horses are capable of feeling emotions like grief and overwhelm and excitedness. But at the same time, right? Your horse is not <clears throat> is balking at a jump or it refuses to walk through a gate, um, et cetera, et cetera. That sense of stubbornness that you're seeing from a human context is not the same thing. Um, oh. Yeah. So like, it's really difficult for me to constantly have that conversation with people like, yes, these horses are sentient. You have a wide, colorful range of emotions. But you are seeing things through a human lens and they see things through a, an equine lens and they are not safe. Yeah, people aren't ready to hear that. <clears throat> a lot of times you can tell people there is no such thing as a horse being disrespectful because they don't know how to be disrespectful. Um, you can tell yeah. people that you're blue in the face, but they are people aren't ready to hear it. So I don't argue with a lot of people. Um, they're... I just feel like they're not ready. Um, I do try I to that everything is a here. We teach them every single thing. That is how we've taught them. We reward them. So people constantly will tell me, I don't use positive. My horse will mug me for the treats. They're too disrespectful. Well, no, you rewarded them when they were close to your body. You have to look away from <laughs> yeah. your body. They're looking away from you. You have to reward that behavior you're looking for, that respect you're looking for is behavior they're learning, that they learned that behavior, like whatever they're doing, they learned that to either get their food or to feel safe. So spooking, yeah. a lot of times people, their horse spooks, they yell at their horse, they smack their horse, they make their horse like walk up to the object. And I don't, I, I'm like, <clears throat> if it, because if you do anything to the horse, Spooks, you have just reinforced that horse. Says, <laughs> yeah. You're like, that, that object looks scary. Oh, and I just got smacked. So like that object brought that smack to me. Means That's I get smacked. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but you can't explain that to everyone. And I don't try to, I ride with too many different people uh, that I don't care if they believe my opinion or not come to me and ask because they're like wow it's so cool that your horse is just like you open your trailer door and they all just get in you don't even have to put your holders on like I want my horses to do that well then maybe something I'm doing is right <laughs> learn more or do you want to argue that your horse is disrespectful 
um, because I just won't sit and argue with them. I still love my friends. We can all have different views. Um, and in the horse world, it is very hard to find people like-minded. Yeah, that's super true. Um, I don't even think disrespect or respect uh, exists in a human context. That's like a made-up thing. That's, that's just your feelings towards something that's been said or done. But if you remove that word, you'll find the feelings that you're feeling. Mm -hmm. that you're experiencing respect and disrespect don't exist they don't exist um that's another pressure and release and disrespectful i just picture clinton anderson in my head uh or pat pirelli um it's maddening it's so maddening um you mentioned spooking and i love that example because people um they just don't realize that they're like, unfortunately reinforcing that behavior every time that horse does that because they get pissed off. Emotional regulation is also something you'll have to confront, right? Like if you start down the plus R road, you are going to have to address your capacity to emotionally regulate yourself um, and your timing. Uh, your emotional regulation and timing are so critical in your success in implementing plus R into your training. Um, and it's what causes a lot of people to either fail or be successful, in my opinion, um, with the treat delivery. Yeah. And that's something I'm really bad about because my range of motion is really shitty and it can start out at the beginning of a training session really great. And by the end, my range of motion is nothing. So <clears throat> my treat delivery is very inconsistent. Um, but when people are like, oh yeah, my horse is really pushy. Well, that's because you rewarded him and you dropped the treats. You gave him the treats when he was being pushy. If you would have waited, and you you see this in videos when I work with Sully, when he's being snatchy, I call it being snatchy. Um, I'll hold my hand up and he knows he's not getting anything. If I do this, he's not getting anything. So he'll, he makes like a furrowed face about it. And he goes, and he pulls his face back in where he's supposed to be. And then he gets, he gets the treat. <laughs> um, so it is totally workable. Um and if any horse is like inherently aggressive about treats, you need to address your nutrition. That horse is not getting adequate nutrition. <laughs> I there's <clears throat> I have yet to see a horse that is getting adequate nutrition that is food aggressive. Right. There you, you can't had a lot too. That's actually a lot of people that I ride with they're like, "Well, my horse acts like it's like it is." Like it is. <laughs> 24 seven, they're supposed to have access to food. We feed them twice a day or not, not we maybe, but people in general think that we domesticated these guys. They can eat twice a day. They, they, you know, they get two flakes in the morning and two flakes at night and they get grain and they get all of this. They're not starving, but they are because their brains are designed to eat graze constantly little meals. So feeding out of the nuts and stuff like that is very helpful. Also providing yeah. them with an in their stall, the, all of those things need to be in if you have a horse that you call food aggressive um, or that you call food aggressive before implementing the positive reinforcement. You can't take a horse that has, you know, emotional frustration with food and start using positive yeah. reinforcement. That's going to come out in the sessions. But also a horse yep. that is very food motivated or like eats their food very fast even after you have that 24 access access to, to forage and you have some enrichment going on in their stall and remember they're in their stalls no how if you work with them for four hours a day they're still in their stalls 
hours. So that is a majority of their lives that we have to design to make, keep their brains going, their enriched activities yeah. and food. Um, now we're taking them out for the session. And if you have a horse that is very eager for food, use something like cubes. Don't like, don't use yep. a little treat where they're, they'll be looking for something. I'll use cubes. Like on Poncho, he loves, he'll, he's like so eager for the next thing. So if I use a big cube and he's not for a while, at least he has something to chew on while we're getting to the next point before I give him another click and treat. So I'll, I'll just kind of break it up like that. And if I have a horse that is less eager for food and they're, you know, they're, I'll have shorter and smaller rewards because they don't, they're not as eager to get the food. Um, and the horses that are more eager, I want bigger amounts. Like if I'm going to use pellets and not cubes, I'll give them a big scoop of the pellets. So they're chewing on something and they're going to focus on what you're doing because they still want the next reward. Yeah. I, and, and then spooking, that's, that's another heavy hitter. Um, I think that, and I have a couple of videos filmed that I haven't posted yet. I hope will convince a lot of people to at least give it a shot because I have noticed a night and day difference in my horses when I reward them when they spook. And that sounds so counterintuitive, right? Like people are like, what? Well, it's like you said, when you get pissed off at them, when they're already scared at something, you have just reinforced their fear of that object. Um, and I will never forget what you said. Um, you were round penning. I don't know if it was Boomer, uh, but you were like, I ignore everything I don't like. And I reward everything I do. Yeah. And I, I say that to myself <laughs> throughout the session every day because emotional regulation is something I struggle with. Um, and I have to remind myself, ignore everything you don't like, reward everything you do. Um, and so Sully, because he's so reactive and Maureen, I don't know if you struggle with this with chat still, because I know he was pretty reactive about like bathing. Um when I started rewarding him, when he would spook, he, he, he now he just doesn't. Uh, when you zoomed me earlier, remember, and he got the mounting block stuck underneath his leg. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He just like, didn't even care. He like stumbled over it and tripped over it and it got stuck under his back legs. And he was just like, whatever. If that had happened initially when I first got him, oh my God, it would have been a fucking wreck. Um, but they learn that they're not going to be punished when they get scared. Um, and even more so, they learn that they're going to get rewarded for being calm. Um, yeah, I, I definitely teaching. noticed that with, with Chap because he was very reactive about being bathed. And it was because I used to tie him to a pole or a fence or whatever so that he would stand there while I bathed him. <clears throat> and then when we started doing the, the positive reinforcement, I kind of thought about it and I was like, why does he need to stand still? Like I have a long hose. If, <laughs> if every single time I pull out the hose, he's going to step back because he's attached to a pole and he feels like he doesn't have any other options and he's freaking out because he doesn't have options. And so one day I was like, let's do, <clears throat> let's do just at Liberty a bath. I just put him in the backyard and I got a really long hose out and, and did that. And he was perfect. Didn't care about getting sprayed. Didn't care about soap. Didn't care about getting scrubbed or anything like, like that. He, it was the, the most positive 
bathing experience that he's ever had. And it made a huge difference. And all it was is that he just didn't need to be tied. And it's not like he moved around a lot. You know, he sat there, he grazed a little bit, he hung out and it was, it was just so much easier. I'm going to be honest. I fucking hate tying horses. I'm going to be totally honest. I fucking hate tying horses. I will never tie my horses and I don't have a need to tie them. Like, cause they just don't leave me. It's like you said earlier, Brooke, like I can turn my horses loose, but they stay right there with me. I don't ever have a need to tie them. Um, it's a liability issue. In my opinion, <laughs> it's a skill they all get taught, but I don't ever use it. Um, like fly spray. That was a, that was a huge aha moment for me because it took Sully less than 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I, I taught him, uh, you know, standing calmly for being fly sprayed at Liberty. Um, and I, I, it's, it's incredible to me, the amount of people that just dismiss this uh, reactive fear behavior um, and just, just deal with it and don't see like how harmful that is to, yeah. to make your horse endure that over time. <laughs> well, and I, um, I did the same thing with chap with fly spray. I did the, I did it at Liberty and, um, and he was very much like some days he'd let me spray him and other days he wouldn't. But uh, when I started doing the Liberty training and the positive reinforcement, <clears throat> the first day I did it with him, uh, I used, I would click and I would use his feed. I had it in, just in a bucket. I'd give it to him until I got him all sprayed. And then I hung it up on the fence for him to finish. But the next day I went out and I would click and not treat him. And he still didn't care. And yeah. so, I mean, for anybody that has the argument of, well, if I go out and use treats, now I'm going to have to use treats every single time. He didn't, he just wanted the click. I sprayed him. He got clicked every single time he let me spray. At the end of it all, I scratched him and he was perfectly happy. Because that Over click time, but- secondary reinforcer. So mm-hmm. they're realizing good. So it, it's just like us learning when someone says good job, that means I did good. But you, we don't know that it's not a enforcer. It's not something we, we were born and we know that when someone says good job, that's positive. But now right. he knows that the click means good. So Brooke, yeah. what, what are some of your, um, for, for people that are interested in starting this, what are some of like your favorite resources or people to, to watch on YouTube or whatever like that? What, what are things that you would suggest to people to, to start this journey? Yeah. So, uh, Karen has written books about it. If, so someone into reading, she's got one called reaching the animal mind, another one called don't shoot the dog. Um, that is more book oriented. As far as YouTube, I always tell people if they're just getting um, a clicker and they want to start using clicker for training to first, they have to learn to charge the clicker or to um, make the horse understand that click means reward. So I just recommend Googling on YouTube, you know, searching for charging the clicker and the species of animal that they're going to be charging the clicker with and watch several different people because some people will start off just by click, treat, click, treat, click, treat. Some people want if it's a more an animal more likely to be snatchy, um, they're gonna want the horse to look away, and then they're gonna click treat, click treat as the horse yep. is looking. Looking That's away. how I did it. Yeah, or some of them are tied up. Some some people use a panel in between. Some people even you can charge a clicker with a target. It really depends on the person and the animal and the t- you know there's several different ways to charge the clicker but that's kind of where you get started is just charging the clicker and you can go anywhere you want from there uh katie negranti has really good online courses that so she has a clicker training course online she teaches a lot of tricks um it's katie negranti performance horses and she, it's a really nice 
easy way to get into like an introduction to clicker training. And if people want to get really in depth, of course, I'm going to recommend Mustang Maddie's course human connection (laughs) or in depth process. Um, She has a very uh, in-depth program like with uh, worksheets and online class and partnerships, um, other students that you're working with and stuff like that. Um, But there's, there's a lot of good information and stuff as well. And, and watching the people work with dolphins, all the, the sea life um, that is where clicker training started and they have advanced the most. So watching some of the people who train their whales and dolphins uh, online on YouTube and everything else is very helpful. And, you know, another thing, you mentioned charging the clicker. I would also highly, 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 highly recommend, like, take your larger goal and break it down into as small, like, bite-sized, miniature goals as you can. And then once you think you've got it, do it again. Um, that, for me, has been the recipe for success with Sully. Like, um <clears throat> You know, I, I thought today I was like, well, now I can sit on him in the saddle, but I'm not ready yet. So how can I further break it down? I thought, well, tomorrow I'll ask for a uh, bend in his neck. You know, that's a little bit of movement, but it's not forward movement. Um, just just break it down into teeny tiny, like teeny tiny little goals, whatever it is you're doing. If it's a trick, if it's a behavior, if it's a movement just break it down as small as you can because that's just going to increase the likelihood of you being successful and not becoming frustrated. Um, And remember that your horse, your horse's aptitude for learning is going to vary greatly horse to horse. Um, Your horse's performative desire is going to vary also. So just like I wouldn't expect uh, Sully <laughs> to uh, beat a thoroughbred on the racetrack and I wouldn't expect a thoroughbred to beat Sully pulling a cart um, respect your horse's aptitude and and just, just keep that in mind like Roni is very performative and so <clears throat> as soon as he learns something it doesn't matter if I have the treat bag or not like if I walk over to his stall he will start going through all of the tricks he knows to try to get my attention Sully doesn't do that really um but Sully learns a lot faster than Roni does so just just keep in mind that they are all individuals and um if you're working with multiple horses um <clears throat> especially if you're first starting out um, once you have charging the clicker down, you have your treat receiving position down and you have your goals broken down as small as possible. Um, if you're working with multiple horses, remember that that is going to have to be very fluid. Um, and I personally don't recommend, and Brooke, you have multiple horses, so you can give your opinion, but I personally don't recommend putting sessions too closely together because I like to sit and digest everything that happens. I record every session and I sit and I digest everything that's gone on. I watch it two or three times. um, And I'm not able to do that or I'm not able to fluidly move on into working with my next horse like Cricket or Roni if 
um, I haven't done that. My brain can't move on. So those, those are my pieces of advice. Um, jackpotting is another thing that we've kind of alluded to on this, uh, during this discussion. Um, that's really valuable. Um, and I've started implementing that like even more heavily. So do you want to talk about that, Brooke? Yeah. So some trainers who are using enforcement will kind of break up their, I, I heard one trainer, Katie, um, actually break this up into like a money thing. Like your, your hay pellets are worth a dollar and these, uh, cookies are worth $5 and a carrot is maybe, or a piece of a carrot is $10 with a hundred dollars all of this mixed together. Um, so they'll, they'll reward the horse based on what the, what behaviors are being promoted, uh, or, you know, a behavior that's worth $10, like, Oh, that was way better than, you know, just nudging the ball. They just bit what I was trying, you know, I wanted them to pick it up and they just bit at it. So I'm going to give them a $10 reward for that. Um, and then the jackpot is usually your end, um, when you're using the training like that, when you're using it more as like, you know, the dollar system, but other trainers are actually, saying no because my my training sessions are going to be so long I really want my horse I just want to be part of their regular diet so using hay and cubes and pellets and I've kind of went that way I'm using the um the least motivating type of reinforcer so if I can use hay I'm going to use hay if I can use cubes I'm going to use cubes if it's uh, timothy pellets great um, really depending on the horse, some horses, I still do have to give a higher value reward to because they're just not motivated. If I'm just using the hay or they're, they're not close enough to me yet. I don't have that relationship with them yet. So <clears throat> on the motivation of the horse and the eagerness for them to, to want the food. But as far as the jackpot goes for me, I'm using a jackpot at the end of the session. Like I'm all done because I like going back to, I don't want them to feel way that we've ended the session stopped. So it's kind of like, I'm, I'm going to do one thing where I have them go and touch a target that is our end target. Now I'm going to jackpot them there. I'm going to just give them the re- everything else in my bag. But it's usually for me is there's they're going to get anyways and the rest of their meal. So I'm going to just leave that there and I'm going to walk away. I'm going to get rid of my clicker bag um, and stay away from them while they're eating. And then I'll go back. Yeah. They know now our session is over, but you can also just like I'll also jackpot like I was working with Firebird today she's relatively new to me she's not she's still very apprehensive to take treats for my hand and she I must have done something too fast she decided hey you know what there's some loose hay on the ground I'm gonna eat this I really don't want what you're doing and there's a barrier between her and I so she has the capability to leave so I was like okay what am I gonna do doesn't want to do this so I ended up just jackpotting her and walking away and I know next time because I before with horses that got disinterested jackpot and walk away now they're like what did I do I wonder what I did they're not gonna think like oh it's because I was on the ground they're really gonna go oh that was that was cool I got this so that just helps keep them focused the next time you go in so that session is called off here's your jackpot or you've been working on something and you haven't been able to get the horse to let you put weight on it say like say you're getting on this you're trying to get on this horse every day and it doesn't want the weight on it and one day it's like oh yeah you you can get on me now you're gonna get off and jackpot the horse and walk away right you're gonna like here you go here's the end yeah so that's how I yeah make a make a big deal and throw a party Absolutely. When you hit those milestones, um, I don't, I haven't personally run into the issue of having like any of my horses be disinterested in what I'm offering and they only get hay pellets, but they're like, Jesus Christ, these are the best fucking hay pellets in the world. And I want all of them. Um, 
So I'm really fortunate in that. And I know chap is kind of a pellet hoe, a treat hoe. So um, I'm really grateful. I, um, although I think it's, it's valuable to kind of endure that at some point to get those skills. Um, I, I really stick to routine. Like the beginning of the session looks this way and the end of the session looks this way. Um, because I think it sends really clear communication to them. And it also tells me when they are or are not in the mood for learning, like I said. And I mentioned that on my story uh, today. Uh, when I have the treat bag on, Sully sees me and he waits at the mountain block in his paddock because he's, he's ready to go. Um, the problem began was like I was being a little too unclear earlier in the week about our routine. And so he was he was continually going to the mounting block and then becoming frustrated because we weren't working. So um, I started making it like very clear uh, when I would end the session, I would take off the bag, jackpot him and walk away. Um, but it like, they are that smart and they are that communicative. that You, you have to be clear about it. Otherwise they're like, I want to work all the time. This is great. I love those pelicans. <laughs> Yeah, and smart enough to understand all of that. They are, they do understand that we're wearing a bag or we're not. I have a friend that was working with her horses and she couldn't really, she didn't have the capability of separating them all where she was staying individually. So she wear a different color vest for which horse she was working with. And the horses started to learn that she's wearing the yellow vest. Only this horse is getting treats that day. Like she wouldn't treat the other horses in her yellow vest. She'd only treat the horse that she was dealing with in the yellow vest that day. So they, if they can break it down to that and you have all the other horses in the pasture and we have the capability of separating our horses and, you know, setting up the environment this way, then you know that we can do it too, right? She had one pasture with five horses in it and could not separate them and still was able to teach her horses positive reinforcement with the clicker and no one else was mugging her for treats while she with the yellow vest horse. Yeah, right. I have chap. I have chap out in the pasture with the other five horses, and um, and they know that when I'm working with him, he's the only one getting treats. And everyone is out there together. They're just grazing around with him. They might come in and check in, and then they realize, okay, mom's not paying any attention to me, and they walk away, and they don't bug me for treats at all. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and that that kind of reinforces like the uh, my horse is pushy for treats thing. Like, well. <laughs> And you have to take a look at what you're doing. Um, but I can honestly tell you, you know, when I, I had been doing plus R with Roni for a while already when I got Sully, after seeing how much easier it made gentling Sully, like I had, and if you go back and, and if you listen to previous episodes, um, I, I have talked very openly and transparently about how fucking worried I was that I was never going to get the halter on that horse that I was never going to get to uh, touch him everywhere because he didn't want fuck all to do with me. Not at all. And his size is a huge barrier. Cause like I said, I can't afford to go to the hospital. Um, but holy shit. It's so, he's so willing and it's so easy now that now I'm looking for like ways to challenge myself. I'm like, how, how can I make this a little harder? Cause this is uh, so easy. Um, yeah, and I, I'm just really grateful. So I'm really grateful to Brooke uh, for 
but you know what it's funny it was just like uh what is it called the happenstance or whatever because at the time we had like just moved here and I had just set up my round pen so it was in like January I think December or January um and I was working in the round pen with Roni and I had been dealing with some really serious bucking and bolting and reactivity issues and we didn't know he was injured at the time um and all I wanted him to do was collect in the round pen for fuck's sake I just wanted him collecting the round pen and I just happened to see your video and here your horse was collecting with no aids completely willingly. And I was like, I can do that. How do I do that? Um, and it just made so much sense. And then I started going through your other videos and I saw you doing clicker training and buttons with Poncho. And I was like, dude, this is the, this is it. It can be done. And I don't know why I never thought of it before because um, I had done a lot of operant conditioning with dogs and positive reinforcement. Um, but it had just never been presented to me in that light for horses before. Um, but God, I'm so, I'm so thankful. Like I never would have had the skill set to be able to gentle a horse like Sully. I'm, I'm not ever going to be, I'm not ever going to be stronger than the weakest horse ever, ever. Um, so they have to be willing. Um, and then it's, the catalyst. It's faster. Well, what was that? It's faster. Oh, shit, yeah, it's faster. Shit, yeah, it's faster. Into it. Because you have the clicker charged, basically. The, everything else is faster. And it's safer. It's way safer. Um, and that has been so valuable to me. And then, um, you know, it like extended the friendship branch between uh, me and Maureen because she became interested uh, in what I was doing. So like, it just, it's just had such a positive impact. And I get messages all the time from people that are like, thank you so much because it's night and day for my horse. Now my horse is safer now. <clears throat> um, and like, wow, I'm so grateful for that. It's been yeah. awesome. When I was um, in Arizona, I had COVID and I had picked up, I had already bought this filly and I picked her up and she wasn't halter broke or anything. And I was like, and I want to stick to my guns now. Like I'm not going to halter break her by <laughs> having her run around, but I'm sick now. Like, how am I going to do this? And I have to trailer her home. Like, is this going to work? You know, and I'm starting to panic myself, even though it's only a commitment to myself. It wouldn't matter if I, you know, chased her around the pin and put the halter on. It wouldn't matter. Like no one would ever know. But I, in my own goals, I'm like, no, I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm just going to be positive reinforcement. And, you know, she doesn't even know how to take food from my hand. She's completely feral, but it was quick. And I trailered her home with no problem. In fact, she loaded in the trailer. I didn't need help loading in the trailer. I was paranoid about it. I was like, well, if I have to unload anywhere and load back up, am I going to be able to get this wild filly in? But no, she came around quicker than I, I think any even my babies that I used to not use the positive reinforcement to really halter, start them on the halter when it was more pressure release. Um, she's even further advanced than babies that I had raised, you know, in my hands. Yeah. So from only doing positive reinforcement. And I'll say this. Um, I didn't realize how much detriment, how much of a negative effect only using pressure and release um and additionally starting Roni under the the method had had on our relationship until I started plus R um 
So Rowdy has a long standing history of not trailering. I mean, he would rather break his back and flip over backwards um, than trailer. <laughs> and he's, it's, it's been a, a very consistent issue. And now, um, <clears throat> the other day I just pointed and he just got on the trailer. I was like that. I, I was like, why wasn't I recording this? That was incredible. <laughs> Nobody would believe me. Um, this and this horse. Uh, so this is the same horse, of course, that told Dana. Originally, he didn't want a trailer in my trailer because he thought his butt was too big and he wouldn't fit, which is probably fair. It was a small trailer. Um, but then afterwards, admitted and told Dana that he didn't want to get on the trailer because he thought I was going to sell it. He thought I was going to get rid of him. Um, and so his not wanting to trailer was like deeply rooted in trauma and um, learning that every horse that gets in a trailer never comes back. Um, and now all I have to do is point at my trailer and he'll just walk right up and yeah. get it. Um, and so like abandoning those old methods, and I'm not saying I don't use pressure and release, but I don't use it to the degree which I had previously thought it was acceptable. And yeah. that was really hard to accept that I had done those things to my horse. Like now when I think about it, I'm like, that was so fucking abusive. That was <laughs> no wonder. No wonder he was the way he was. I'm lucky he didn't kill me. Um, it's just, it's night and day. And so, like I said, I do, your presence is pressure and people need to understand that your presence, your gaze is pressure. It is. And that's enough. So I'm not saying I don't use pressure and release. That's physically impossible. My presence is pressure, but I never strike my horse. I never, ever strike my horse. My youngster. That are, that are newer, that I only use positive reinforcement with, if I even accidentally attempt to use pressure and release, not that I know we're always using it, but if I'm actually, you know, like I'm going to have them go in a circle around me and I'm using pressure to get them to go forward, they aren't tolerating it either. And it's not that they're not tolerating it to where they're like going to be explosive. They're just like not getting it because it, yeah. it's not acceptable. It's Yeah, and they're so I'm confused. Like, yeah. They, they, and yes. they, they perform, but when I put them away, they tell me the next time I go to get them, like, oh, I really didn't like that. That wasn't, that wasn't acceptable. And they're right. <clears throat> it's not acceptable. I know better. Now, you know, they, all my horses have been tolerant of me in the past, but now that I know better, like, I don't want them to be tolerant of that. I've also like everything in my brain has kind of adjusted because of positive reinforcement where I'm like, why do my horses have to walk and poop? Like, why do people make their horses walk and poop? Do I really need to do that? Like, I understand if we're chasing right. cows, but how are you chasing a cow and the horse is like, hey, I got to stop and poop? Never. They never think like that. They yeah. they go and get the job. But if we're walking on a trail, they stop they because they want to go to the bathroom. Like, what? who am I to be like, no horse, you got to keep walking. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's crazy how you see it in just like every aspect. Like how your whole mindset changes, your animal husbandry changes. Maureen, you pointed me um, in the way of a really good book for people that are trying to uh, change, right? Or trying to like use less pressure and release, at least in uh, the physical way. Uh, From Leading to Liberty, that book is great. It's great. Um, 
I caught Kennedy reading that yesterday and she went out and she started doing some stuff with cricket. So that's oh, cool. awesome. Yeah. Um, I think it was like 20 bucks. Um, <clears throat> but if you don't know uh, what direction you want to go in, or you're just not sure where to start getting, like Brooke said, a fundamental understanding of clicker training, going on Google, scrolling through, through videos, whatever. And I think coupling that with something like from leading to Liberty and then adding in the plus R is just a, just a really solid way to start because it takes the pressure off of you and it gives you a step-by-step -step, like here, this is how, and I like from leading to Liberty Maureen because it's uh, written from a behavioral standpoint um, and there is no uh, striking in that book. Yes. Yeah. Anywhere. Um, no, I really, I really like that book. <clears throat> and that was, I like, I didn't know anything about the person who wrote it or anything like that. I just found out on Amazon. It looked like a pretty decent book. It had some nice reviews. So I, I was like, we'll just give it a, you know, I'll buy it. And if it's no good, I won't use it, but what's it going to hurt? Um, and I really like it because of how it uses very plain language. It's yeah. very easy to understand, and the you know, Kennedy, yeah, the pictures, Kennedy was reading it and everything, you know? So I like the simplicity of it. It's, is not like, you know, I have a, I have a science degree and everything like that, but I don't want to read all the sciencey terms and everything like that. It's not going to keep me engaged. So <laughs> like I, I did my college, <laughs> I did college and everything. I did all of that. I don't want to have to read sciencey books anymore. Um, so yeah, I definitely, and I will for sure put all of these resources in the show notes and, um, links to like, you know, your post about, uh, the love language and to Brooks social medias and everything like that. So if you go into the show notes for the show, you will find all of the resources to just start. I have the books up on my website as well. I mean, at this point in, at this moment in actual time, I do not, but they're about to be published later this evening. So I've compiled a list of all of those resources and that will be on my website, um, indigenous equine. So you can go there and find it anytime um yeah for leading deliveries great because of the pictures because i don't even really have to read a lot of what it says i can just look at the pictures and I, like understand <clears throat> and that helped me with getting sully to lunge um and to back without having to strike him like i didn't fucking can we just be <laughs> can we be real for a second i didn't realize how much i was hitting my horses i was hitting them a lot I was hitting them a lot, man. Yeah. Um, because that's the answer right now in this industry. When they won't move, you hit them. And and people are so accepting of that. It's so damaging. These animals, the domesticated horses, horses in a domestic environment, are more physically violent with each other than horses in an actual wild or feral environment. I fucking hate that rhetoric. And every time I hear it, I just want to strangle people because it's inaccurate. Horses living on the range, feral horses, are not nearly as physically violent with one another or use physical reprimand as often as domesticated horses that are not getting their basic needs met. A horse that's getting fed twice a day uh, <laughs> is orders of magnitude more physically aggressive with other horses than any wild horse. And the, the horses give you a lot more thing that maybe we're not yeah. paying 
because people are like, oh no, I, another a mare would have kicked him harder than I just hit him. Um, and that, that's not true. And also you're not we, a horse though. We give off the wrong body hate behavior too much for the horses to be able to expect what we're going to do. For example, even stand um, with your, if your horse is on one side and you stand resting one leg, you know how we always kind of stand, yeah. we'll put more weight on the other. Well, in a horse's horses resting like that that is the leg that could kick you so they the the lead mare isn't gonna rest she's gonna have, have her weight on the horse the the leg closest to the horse but we don't pay attention to that stuff like that 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 we see um if you really watch wild horses interact with each other before a mare even puts her ears back at a horse she'd be resting that foot um so the leg yeah. closest to the horse would be up yeah and the things that we're doing constantly so our horses are constantly seeing us prepared to kick um and we don't kick so then we all of a sudden kick for them they didn't back up or you know we asked them and we're in front of them and they're not going so now we're we're clicking at them um or strike at them um but they had no idea because our body language is too different and we don't pay attention to all of the subtle things that we're doing yeah we're really loud for horses right and i said that in our episode with rooster we are very loud for a horse And we're loud to the point where nothing we do makes any sense because it's so loud all the time. Like our facial expressions, I have had to be so mindful and like mute my facial expressions when I work with my horses because, um, and Sully has made me really mindful of this. I I can tell when he starts to get stressed before he gives me any of those like big body movements because his lip will get tight. Yeah. And his lip gets tight before anything else. And I, and I have to see myself through the lens he sees me, and that's through a horse's lens. And from a horse's lens, uh, I do that constantly. I do that constantly. Um, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, we're really loud for a horse. Yeah, my friend taught her horse positive reinforcement to, um, you know, one, one blink. This eye meant move this foot. This eye meant move this foot in the Spanish walk. And she said, so, you know, that's the subtle of the cue. So blink, blink, blink. And so the horse would use this leg, this leg for the Spanish walk. So whichever yeah. eye she was blinking and she sneezed one day. So the horse reared up and she's like, oh, that was cool. Right. <laughs> that's fucking and cool. That, so if the horses are that in tune with our face, if they can watch yeah. the blinking and get that, then yeah, our facial, we're not paying attention enough. I always have like RBF. So it doesn't matter. I don't think I put off too much. I'm not too loud in the face with my horses, but probably still louder than the mares in the pasture or the wild horses. Yeah. And I, I've had to like be, um, I've like started to experiment with that. Like, what can I make you do by furrowing my brow? What can I make you do by tightening my lip? Um, and it's just made me more self-aware. Now, when I reflect back on like training sessions, when I would get, uh, frustrated and like lose my temper. Well, what did I expect from my horse? <laughs> because <laughs> I was at a 10. So what did I expect out of him? He was going to give me a 10 as well. Um, do you have any closing thoughts, Brooke, or, um, any, like, what's your, what, what's your message? What's your message for the people? My message for the people is that it is worth a try, um, especially for for those out there who 
maybe feel like me. You're not a cowboy. You don't want to go ride the rank horses. You want to have a different relationship with your horses and maybe you have some fear. Um, Alex and I spoke about this a lot too. I, I think fear is very healthy. They're, they're huge animals. This is a really good way to directly communicate exactly what you want, but also give them the opportunity to communicate with you. So you know how they're feeling and it makes them safer and it's easier for people like me who are not as confident. Like I'm not going to go hop on someone's broke, even someone's broke show horse. Like that is scary to me. Um, I want a horse that I, and I can see what's going on. And when I'm doing positive reinforcement, I start learning more and more about that horse and what every ear twitch means about that horse. And I thank you guys very much for having me on. It was great. Thank you for being on. And we'll see you guys next time.